welcome back to Sports Touch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Tonight, 24 NFL teams begin 2018 preseason play, and the remaining eight join the fun over the weekend. While exhibition games do not count in the win column in the National Football League, they matter, and they matter a lot. The preseason is a chance for NFL teams to see how well young players or players coming off injury fare in live game settings for the first time and are central to the decision-making process as teams assemble their final 53-man rosters. And to help give you an idea of what to look for around the league as the games unofficially commence this week is my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, Hal? How you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Uh, we always appreciate having you on, Hal. It's uh, there's no NFL season without you coming on Sports Crunch week after week during the season, Hal. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And before we get into this week's preseason action, uh, let's uh, recap last Thursday night's Hall of Fame game. And while there wasn't uh, that much to take away from the Hall of Fame game, I still think there was uh, some things that stood out, particularly uh, Lamar Jackson's uh, up-and-down performance. What did you think of Lamar Jackson last week? Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson looked like a college quarterback playing his first preseason game. He was unsure of himself, uh, probably a little more than the Ravens had hoped, but he made a few real nice plays getting out of the pocket and tucking the ball and running, and a few nice throws there that you could see the potential that made him that first-round draft pick and why Baltimore moved up to get him. So an up-and-down night, but then that's kind of expected as well, and and you can see that potential there with him that makes him so intriguing. Oh, you definitely could, and but it also showed you that he still has a ways to go, and it wouldn't hurt the Ravens if he sat the full season behind Flacco and ironed out the kinks in his game so the game could slow down for him. Yeah, I think it was a big uh, sigh of relief for Joe Flacco standing on the sideline there. He's got at least one more year with that, that big contract in Baltimore in 2018, and that should be his team most of the year unless you know that team really nosedives or something uh, happens with injuries and you see them giving Lamar Jackson a shot at the end of the year if they're out of the playoff hunt. Yeah, that's probably the only way Lamar Jackson will see the field as a starter uh, this season. And But there were other points that stood out for the Ravens, like uh, Orlando Brown, the uh, third-round pick out of Oklahoma, that offensive tackle, uh, although he was playing left tackle during that game, he looked pretty damn good, and I think he made a case to be the starting right tackle opposite Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, I mean, again, it you know, Orlando Brown looked like a first-round draft pick last year. He went to the the combine, and I don't know what happened. If he had bad advice, or if he just had a bad week the week probably, before, probably a little bit of both. Exactly, but you know, it, it goes to show that you can't just throw out all that game tape based on what's going on at the combine. And really, I think you know, at the time of the draft, I remembered seeing it, him dropping that fire and saying, "Geez, it, it's always going to be a Aussie that's going to grab somebody in that middle round there that's free falling down and scoop him up and find him another contributor there on, on the offensive line. And, and he did look impressive and it didn't look like he had any problems with strength in his first preseason game. That's for sure. Oh, yes. And he definitely made a case, like I said, for that right tackle position that still remains an open competition in Baltimore. And what things stood out with the Bears in this game? 
Well, I think with the Bears, you know, there, there's a lot of enthusiasm coming into this season for Chicago. Um, and it, and it might have tampered back just a little, but, you know, you you didn't have the full set of starters out there. They didn't play a lot, the ones that were out there to begin with. So, you know, Chicago is one of those sleeper picks this year. Oh, they're going to sneak into the playoffs. They've, they, they have improved a lot. There's a lot to like about the Bears, but I think that game one showed it's going to take some time and it's going to take a lot of work, but that still looked like a team that, Looks like it's ready to take a few steps forward here in 2018. Oh, yes, and I was very impressed with two of their day three draft picks, especially Javon Wims, their seventh-round pick out of Georgia. Javon Wims, he's more of a contested catch specialist, but if Allen Robinson goes down with an injury this year, which is quite possible because he's just coming off of a torn ACL and he's known for injuries in his history, um, Javon Wims uh, is making a case to be an ideal replacement for him, particularly in the red zone where Trubisky can uh, launch the ball up and uh, Javon Wims could climb the ladder and ring it down. You know, if you can get any kind of depth out of day three in the draft, you're having yourself an excellent draft. That is for sure. And to find any contributors that late, um, even if it's, you know, even if they're just stashing him for this year, and um, picking that up later, like you said, especially with the Bears, they've had some bad luck. Just look at Kevin White at wide receiver, their first-round pick a couple years ago. Uh, Kyle Fuller at cornerbacks had some trouble staying healthy. So you said it, you know, you're going to have to find that depth in other places because the injury bug has already hit in Chicago in the past, and it and if it does again, you need to have somebody there waiting in the wings. And, and that's a great step with Wims there um, looking so good in his first preseason game. Yes, and another guy that looked very good was their fifth-round pick, Bilal Nichols, who definitely made his case to be part of the six-man, uh, potential six-man rotation on that uh, Bears defensive line to keep Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks fresh. And the Bears are going to need to do that because as great as Akeem Hicks was last year, he he got tired a lot. He played 85% of the snaps. And if uh, Akeem Hicks and Jonathan Bolden and some of those young guys step up, I think the Bears have quite a rotation. Exactly. They really do. And, and uh, you know, I think what stood out for that Bears defense for me, most of all, was the was not seeing Roquan Smith there. So, you know, that kind of hurts as well. And, and you kind of you know, can't wait to see him get onto the field and get this started. But, you know, maybe it was that one big absence that was what was missing the most in Chicago with that enthusiasm and excitement. Oh, absolutely. The Bears are going to have to figure that out as soon as possible. And now moving on to tonight's slate of games, starting with the game I am going to be watching as the New York Giants and Saquon Barkley travel to Cleveland to take on Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, the Browns, the stars of Hard Knocks, but they got a game to play right now, and the Browns' wide receiver core is undergoing a little bit of shuffling right now as uh, they await the return of Josh Gordon. They traded Corey Coleman, their 2016 first-round pick, to Buffalo for a future seventh-round pick, I believe, in 2020. And the guy they hoped would take Corey Coleman's place, Antonio Callaway, who was one of the biggest gambles of this draft, uh, despite... Tremendous off-field baggage. He had first-round talent. The Browns decided to take a risk on him in the fourth round. He was just popped for marijuana possession, and he, even worse, he failed to 
reported to the team. So with Corey Coleman traded and Antonio Callaway busted again and likely facing potential league discipline because of this, which Browns wide receiver has the biggest opportunity to prove himself worthy of a starting job in this game? Well, I'm going to be looking at uh, Green Bay's former Green Bay receiver Jeff Janis as somebody who flashed potential so many times in Green Bay and never seemed to be able to put it together and earn that spot on the field. Once again, he's got a great opportunity here now in Cleveland. Um, like you said, with Callaway gone, you know, you can't. As much as Miami tried it last year, you can't throw the ball to Jarvis Landry every time you drop back to throw. So they have to find somebody else there to help out at wide receiver. And I think Janice is, is next in line right now and is going to get that first shot. So we'll see how he does tonight when he gets that shot. Uh, that's going to be interesting. But another guy who I believe is ahead of Jeff Janice on the Browns' initial depth chart, for what it's worth, is Rashard Higgins, who was a late-round draft pick in 2016, wide receiver out of Colorado State. And he and Baker Mayfield have developed an excellent rapport and chemistry so far during training camp. So Rashard Higgins is a guy to watch as well. Oh, definitely. And Higgins uh, was fifth-round pick. He's been on the team, on the practice squad, bounced around. He's going to have that opportunity as well. And, you know, like you said, Cleveland has to find somebody there um, because giving up on Corey Coleman and, and giving away a first-round draft pick once again opens up a big hole in that offense. And it'll be interesting to see how that battle plays out and if Higgins can um, hold off Janice in the preseason and secure that uh, spot number two, especially, uh, like you said, with Gordon as well, not unknown at this point when he's going to show up in Cleveland and be ready to play. Yes, the talented but enigmatic wide receiver core of the Cleveland Browns, they need somebody else to step up and help Jarvis Landry out. And aside from watching Baker Mayfield tomorrow night, the other Browns rookie that I'm going to have my eyes on is Nick Chubb. And he was listed as the third running back on the depth chart. And Nick Chubb, Matt Waldman, who was on this program before the draft, he said that Nick Chubb was the best running back he ever graded coming out of college in the past five years. And when you watch his tape uh, in Georgia, before the injury and after the injury, you see that athleticism, especially before the injury. But last year, he... Chubb started to show even more of that athleticism and at the combine his athletic numbers weren't that far behind Saquon Barkley's for crying out loud so Nick Chubb could quietly become something very very special and he was listed as third behind Carlos Hyde but I don't think he's that far behind Carlos Hyde do you really think so? No I don't think so at all I, I think Carlos Hyde you know he's one of those running backs that that peaked in his early 20s and you saw the gradual decline in San Francisco. And I was kind of surprised that Cleveland threw so much money at him to bring him in in the offseason and then send us uh, and then spend a second round pick on Chubb as well. I'm also a big fan of Nick Chubb. I think he has that. I think he coming out of college, he had that pro-style running attack. He can pound the ball between the tackles. He can make space for himself with the ball getting out of the backfield as well, which makes him such an interesting runner is that, you know, he's got that style that fits the NFL maybe even better than when he was in college as well. So 
he's somebody definitely to keep an eye on there. And, and I was um, very surprised he lasted to the second round as well. And I think it was a great deal by Cleveland being able to get him at the top of the second round. Yes, and I would expect him to leapfrog Carlos Hyde on that depth chart at some point this season. Oh, definitely. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to leapfrog him before the season, a strong preseason. The Browns are going, we already talked about their wide receiver core. They're going to have to find offense somewhere, and you can't afford to put a running back who's going to move the chains on the bench to start the season just because you overpaid for someone in free agency. Oh, absolutely, and we're rooting for you, Nick Chubb, uh, who didn't get too much love in the Cleveland airport uh, if you saw Hard Knocks last night, And but hopefully that'll change sometime soon as Nick Chubb could bring a very explosive element to that offense, an underrated explosive element there, I say, because a lot of people describe him as a, a pounder between the tackles, but he can rip off massive gains still, and I think the further he gets away from that injury, He's going to get more of that explosion back. And speaking of explosive running backs, uh, Saquon Barkley is the other rookie in this game drawing the major headlines, but he will only likely be on the field for a couple of possessions. But what sort of clues can we get from Saquon Barkley in this game? I mean, we're not going to get much with only a couple of possessions out there. I just want to see his confidence in hitting the hole. That's always the big thing. If he's getting the ball out of a... Um, you know, with the quarterback behind center, making sure everything, the timing's right, he's hitting the hole right, the Giants run out the fullback in front of them a few plays. That's where the younger running backs coming out of college these days, they're not used to those two-back offenses. They're not used to their quarterback being under center and handing the ball off. So there's a lot of that footwork and timing that has to get into place there. And just see if he looks comfortable, you know, that just help, makes it even easier to draft him in the first round of your fantasy draft this year, that's for sure. Yes, the main concern I had about Saquon Barkley coming out of college was the fact that he looks to hit the home run all the time and doesn't take what's given. He's going to have to learn how to uh, ru- not only run between the tackles and take what's given, he needs to show more physicality uh, doing so because he uh, is a pretty finesse runner right now despite the, the fact that he's 230 pounds and can, can squat a power clean of 445 pounds, for crying out loud. So it's time for Saquon Barkley to start learning how to play up uh, to his strength. And a thing that makes Nick Chubb more mature than Saquon Barkley right now as a runner is that he's willing to grind out the short yards and not hit the home run all the time. You're exactly correct. And, and that's what I was referencing earlier with Chubb is that NFL style, you know, the Barry Sanders type running backs that can, that can take those losses of two yards, losses of three yards, and then rip off a 74-yarder. Those are very few and far between in the NFL and the backs really have to learn that patience and, and learn that, you know, just sometimes those three yards on first down are what makes the difference between staying on the field and getting off the field. And it's it's breaking those hard habits that they get from college sometimes. And, and learning to adapt to that NFL game is, is what uh, the step that the younger running backs definitely have to make. They most certainly do, and the Giants uh, also have a notable player coming back from injury, and that is, of course, Odell Beckham Jr., but would you fault the Giants for deciding to rest him tomorrow night to make sure he's 100% in football shape before he takes the field? 
Yeah, I would be very surprised to see Beckham out there. At least even week one or week two of the preseason, he might be a situation where you're going to take every step to make sure, dot every I, cross every T, whatever it takes, and then put him out there with the starters for the first half of game three. You know, Make sure he looks all right there. Sit him out game four and get ready to go for week one. I think he's at that point coming off the injury. You kind of have to handle him with a little bit of the kid's gloves because you can't afford an injury in week one of the preseason here to knock back one of your starters, especially a superstar starter like that. Oh, most definitely. And aside from Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr., what is the biggest thing to watch for the Giants this game? Well, for the Giants, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on the offensive line. I want to see how that new look offensive line, the money they spent, the draft picks, they've got uh, Will Hernandez they took at the top of the second round. See how those, how that offensive line is. Even if Manning's not back there at quarterback, are they giving that quarterback that extra second to wait for the receiver to get open? Are they opening up holes for the running backs? Because, that offensive line really dragged the Giants down last year. They've invested a lot into trying to turn that offensive line around here in 2018. And that's what I'm going to be looking for with the Giants is, you know, not so much the big plays and the skill position players, but can they, can they open up some holes? Can they give the quarterback some time? And that, that's going to be key for the Giants this season. I agree. I will be watching the Giants offensive line intensively tonight as well. And now moving on to another game that's sure to draw national attention. The Colts traveling to Seattle to face the Seahawks. And obviously the big headline is the return of Andrew Luck. But I am going to be focused on who, aside from T.Y. Hilton, Andrew Luck will be throwing the ball to. As of right now, Ryan Grant is penciled in as the wide receiver too. However, Sixth-round pick Deion Kane out of Clemson has been the talk out of Colts camp. Deion Kane would have been an early day two pick if not for some character concerns, and he has been tearing it up at training camp so much that many in that Colts building believe that he could be a massive steal for them. And if Deion Kane can translate that momentum into production on the field starting tonight, should the Colts consider making Deion Kane the wide receiver two opposite of T.Y. Hilton sometime soon? Well, I think they're still going to pump the brakes a little there in Indianapolis. So far, Ryan Grant has also been impressive and looks to be, you know, healthy, playing well, fitting in as that number two wide receiver behind T.Y. Hilton. One of the big concerns I had with Deion Kane coming out of Clemson as well is he also, besides the off-field issues, he also had some consistency issues in Clemson as well, where he could have a great game or two and then all of a sudden disappear from the stat sheet and it was like he he was invisible out there and so for the Colts knowing that's his history at Clemson you've got to be a little apprehensive early in camp let him go out there let him prove it if he can do it preseason week one two and three then I'm saying, okay, let's make this a race with Ryan Grant for the number two spot right now. But but I think they're going to have to just pump the brakes just a little on Kane at this time and see if there's that new maturity and that new consistency that's in his game right now to match that tremendous talent and athleticism that he does have. Oh, very, very good point, Hal. And the Colts might have a three- to four-man rotation at running back, and two pieces of that committee are rookies in 
Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins. Also, with Robert Turbin suspended the first four games of the year, that opens the door for one of those rookies to seize a healthy role in that backfield early on. If you had to make a guess, does Hines or Wilkins make a stronger case tonight? Well, I, I'm, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a flip of the coin there right now. I saw more of Hines in the, um, you know, where he's coming out of NC State. I just happened to watch more ACC because we've only got one national college team up here in the Northeast in Boston College. So I got to give the edge. I'm more familiar with Hines. So I'm giving him a, just a, a brief edge just because I've seen him and I see I've seen what he can do more at the college level and he's another one who has a, who has a very good pro style running backs where he could fit in and and take a role as you know a spot starter if necessary in his first year or two and step in and contribute when needed so I liked him coming out of college I I think the Colts got a great deal getting him where he is and I think he's should be able to contribute immediately in a small role for Indianapolis. Yes, but I expect the same for Jordan Wilkins because the Colts speak equally as highly of him. And Chris Ballard said that he saw some Matt Forte to his game. And Chris Ballard was a area scout with the Chicago Bears when they drafted Matt Forte. As a matter of fact, he was lobbying Jerry Angelo, the Bears jam at the time, to draft him. So uh, Chris Ballard does have an eye for running back talent. And if he says it about Jordan Wilkins, you have to listen. Exactly. And, and, you know, Wilkins, again, like you talked about, having that that multi-set skill set is so important in the NFL these days, you know, where running backs even 10 years ago weren't counted on to catch the ball out of the backfield. It's become such a big part of the NFL game, splitting the running backs out wide, having them running the whole road tree. And when Wilkins has that pass catching experience there, that's going to, that's going to help him in carving out a role in the NFL as well. Yeah. But I just thought of something, um, Whichever of these two rookies sees the field more often during Robert Turbin's absence, uh, their performance in blitz pickup during the preseason will determine who gets to see the field more and more than anything. That's a great point, and, and that's one of the things young running backs often struggle with. And, you know, that's what the coaches are going to be watching on the film after tonight is seeing who's stepping up and sticking their nose out there and protecting their quarterback. Because especially with Andrew Luck coming back from missing a season, you do not want to be that running back that misses a block and he gets leveled. Oh, absolutely. Protecting Andrew Luck was the number one priority for the Colts. Uh, you could should say in the draft because he got him some good running backs, another wide receiver target, and drafting Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. Uh, Andrew Luck, uh, I think, uh, is going to be a, a very happy man, hopefully very shortly. And let's go to the Seahawks side of the ball. And in this game, I have my eyes on one particular player. And that is the most inspirational story of not only the 2018 NFL draft, but any NFL draft I, I can remember. It's Shaquem Griffin. And Shaquem Griffin... Um, I don't care if he only has one hand that he he had to have amp the other amputated uh, when he was a kid. Uh, he has been balling out in training camp for the Seahawks. He is showing that that 40 time he ran at the combine was not a fluke. And many saw Shaquem Griffin as a special teams demon with upside as a good situational pass rusher. But the Seahawks, and myself included, we see him as more than that. Uh, he picked off a Russell Wilson pass during a team red zone drill in practice for what it's worth. And since he showed that skill set, do you think the Seahawks should give him some snaps at dime linebacker? I wouldn't be surprised in the least. They do need some help there at linebacker. You, 
behind Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, it is kind of thin there. So Griffin does have a shot to to carve out a role, whether in the dime, as that dime uh, linebacker in there. The only other you know standout linebacker potential they have behind Wagner and Wright is Barkevius Mingo as an undersized designated pass rusher on third down. So. Griffin's going to be fighting. There's there's a couple of undrafted rookies there that they have at linebacker. And beyond that, there's not a lot of depth. And there's definitely a role for him to take on DJ Alexander and fight for that dime linebacker spot in Seattle. Oh, I am so rooting for Shaquem Griffin, man. He has all the gifts in the world. And I there's no, no kid you would want to root for more than Shaquem Griffin. Mark my words. And uh, let's go to the other side of the ball for the Seahawks on offense. And this is something that fantasy owners are going to be paying a lot of attention to. And that is the battle they have at running back between Chris Carson, who wowed everybody at preseason last year and had a great start before that uh, injury in week four, and first-round pick Rashad Penny. And early word out of camp says that Chris Carson is significantly ahead of Penny right now and will likely be the starter week one. And should preseason play confirm that Carson is indeed um, outplaying Rashad Penny by quite a large margin, how alarming should that be to the Seahawks front office? Well, it really shouldn't. Um, Penny was kind of a surprise pick at the end of the first round. I know I had him pegged for mid-second round, late-second round. A lot of NFL teams had him there in that range as well. I think Seattle looked at him as a player that they were drafting for two years down the road. And I don't think they're concerned at all if Penny has to take most of this year as a red shirt to learn the role. I think they're comfortable with Carson at the running back spot. Who knows? C.J. Procise might actually stay healthy for a season. They may get something out of him as well and then turn the job over in 2019 to Rashad Penny and have him be that feature back. And again, that those excellent receiving skills that potentially has to be an excellent receiver in the NFL is what they're really looking at down the road. Oh, they most certainly are. But uh, like I said, Chris Carson showed last year he can play. And I think Chris Carson being the lead running back for most or all of this season uh, won't necessarily be the worst thing for Russell Wilson. No, I don't think Russell Wilson's going to complain about it. And, you know, they need help everywhere on offense. I, <laughs> I might be able to say. You know, so get all the playmakers you can get as many of them on the field as you can. You want to put both running backs back there. I don't think Russell Wilson's going to complain at all. He needs all the help he can get in 2018. Most definitely, Hal. And now let's stay in the NFC West and go to the desert where the Arizona Cardinals will host the Chargers on Saturday night. And the big training camp battle for the Chargers is at the kicker position. Remember last year, the Chargers would have made the playoffs if it weren't for a couple of missed field goals at the end of games in weeks one and two. And the two guys competing for that job are veteran Caleb Sturgis and former second round bust Roberto Aguayo. And right now, based on the intel I got from Chargers practice, that battle is pretty much even with Aguayo maybe even slightly outplaying Caleb Sturgis at the moment, but in the live games, in live preseason action, is where this is going to be settled once and for all. So who do you think will win the battle for Chargers place-kicking duties, Caleb Sturgis or Roberto Aguayo? Well, my money's on Caleb Sturgis, David, right now. Uh, He's the veteran kicker. Roberto Aguayo flamed out so badly in Tampa Bay, 
had so many consistency problems in his short career. And with the problems that the Chargers had in the kicking game last year, there's no way they can sell to their fan base Roberto Aguayo as their kicker unless he completely blows Caleb Sturgis off the field. And even if he does that, it's going to be a tough choice for them to pick him over Sturgis because they so desperately need that consistency in the kicking game. I completely agree, uh, and when you're looking for consistency, teams often always choose uh, that proven veteran with a productive track record, and that is Caleb Sturgis. So barring a catastrophe, I see Sturgis coming away with that job. But two other important names have been making noise at Chargers camp, and the Chargers are going to need these two players to step up uh, significantly this season if they want to uh, get over that hump again to the playoffs and win in the playoffs with such the talented roster they have. One of the guys making a lot of noise is Mike Williams, their first-round draft pick last year at 7 overall in the 2017 draft. Mike Williams uh, with Hunter Henry out for the season, the Chargers um, with Virgil Green as their top tight end right now. They need another red zone thread, and Williams is showing that he can be that guy, and he's almost certainly going to have to be that guy. He's been catching touchdowns left and right during red zone drills uh, during training camp, and another guy they have their eyes really um, enamored with is uh, rookie Kaiser White. Uh, he played safety at West Virginia. He's Kevin White's younger brother, by the way, Kevin White of the Bears. And and they have him playing at linebacker. And the Chargers clearly see him, along with Derwin James, as two guys that are going to strengthen the middle of that defense, especially against the run, where the Chargers were s- still a league worst, allowing 4.9 yards a carry last year. So if you're a Chargers fan, who are you looking for to have the better preseason to make you feel more optimistic about the Chargers prospects in 2018? Mike Williams or Kaiser White? If I'm the Chargers, I'm putting it on Mike Williams. I think there was so much enthusiasm last season when he was selected in the first round. They finally had that number two receiver opposite of Keenan Allen there. He's so big, 6'4", 220 yards, so athletic, and then he had such a disappointing rookie season. I, I mean, he, he finished with less than 100 yards receiving for the year as a, as a top 10 draft pick. So for the Chargers, there's a lot of fans looking to Mike Williams to see what he can do now that he's fully healthy. He did have that back injury that put him behind last year, missed all of training camp was out the first couple weeks and it just never seemed to get into a rhythm never seemed to be at a hundred percent and credit to him I think the best thing seeing with Mike Williams too is when he's out at the microphone as well he's taking full responsibility not making any excuses for last year and I I think that's a great sign of character and let's see if that can translate for that number seven overall pick from last season to to finally step in and be that that big red zone, and downfield receiving threat that the Chargers offense could really use. Philip Rivers hopes you are correct. And moving to the Cardinals side of questions, uh, the Cardinals, like the New York Giants, they have an offensive superstar coming off of season-ending injury, and that is David Johnson. And even though David Johnson is 100% right now, he's completely recovered from that dislocated wrist that he suffered in week one of last season. Uh, do you still think it would be wise for the Cardinals to not play David Johnson this Saturday and just make sure he's uh, in football shape? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, there's no rush to get him out on the field in the preseason. You know what you have in David Johnson. You know, he is just so talented and such a game changer for that offense. Um, you know, whether it's Sam Bradford, Mike Glennon, or Josh Rosen that's behind center in week one or week six, whenever that case is, you've got to have David Johnson there to make that offense go. And so you've got to have the kids kid gloves on this offseason and let him get back to full strength, make sure that there's no issues, shake some rust off in week three of the preseason, and then get ready for week one. Oh, I completely agree. David Johnson is going to be the centerpiece of that Cardinals offense this year, regardless of who is under center. So the Cardinals should keep him in bubble wrap for the vast majority of the preseason. And staying with the Cardinals, uh, you mentioned Josh Rosen. Uh, obviously, uh, the casual fan will be mostly looking forward to watching him uh, play on Saturday night. But another uh, key thing to watch for the Cardinals is at the center position, where A.Q. Shipley was lost for the season this past week with a torn ACL, and that puts rookie Mason Cole, who they selected in the third round, Mason Cole out of Michigan, as the starting center. And given how bad the Arizona Cardinals were last uh, season on the offensive line, and with and they're still fielding um, arguably a bottom 10 unit uh, this year. Um, Cardinals fans have got to be watching Mason Cole very, very closely to make sure that he's up to the job as that guy that could hold the offensive line together throughout the year. Exactly. The center position has gotten so important in the NFL. There's so many, there's the blocking assignment calls that they have to make. It's become a leadership role and it's very hard for younger centers who may not have had to have that responsibility in college to pick that up at the pro level. And so for Mason Cole, there's a lot of eyes on him. And if there's a bad performance in week one and it carries over in the preseason, you might see the Cardinals uh, furiously scanning the waiver wire and uh, poking around in the trade market to try to get another body in there to put at center. Oh, that is a possibility to watch as the rest of this month in preseason play unfolds. And moving on to the Rockies, where the Denver Broncos and Case Keenum host Case Keenum's former team, the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins, on Saturday night as well. And the Vikings are currently banged up on the offensive line. Four of five starters, I believe, are not going to play on Saturday, and these four backups playing they each have fewer than 16 career starts in the NFL. And for that reason alone, plus the massive investment you made in Kirk Cousins, would the Vikings be wise to make Dalvin Cook the main act during the starter's time on the field? Because I think Dalvin Cook could be just as key to that offense this year as Kirk Cousins. Well, exactly. And, and, and you're looking at it almost in week one of the preseason here. You want to get Dalvin Cook out there. You want to get him to knock some rust off after missing most of that um, end of the season last year um, because where he played such a it looked like he was going to play such a key role for that team last year before the injuries hit so on one hand you know you don't want him getting beat up behind a bad offensive line either but definitely staple cousins to the bench you know you might see him out for one series just to to show him off out there but if it, if it was me with Minnesota with that those kind of problems up front, it's let the backups run wild in week one and then regroup and see who you can get back on the field for the rest of the preseason. Yes, the Vikings should uh, 
keep the Kirk Cousins' time on the field to a minimum on Saturday night for that reason alone. You do not want him injured because if the Vikings lose Kirk Cousins for a prolonged period of time, they are in big trouble with Trevor Simeon at the helm, dare I say. And moving to the Vikings on defense, and they were the number one defense in the NFL last year across many, if not most, statistical metrics. And I think they only got better at the cornerback position with their selection of Mike Hughes in round one and their steal of Holton Hill as an undrafted free agent. Nick Kendall, a friend of the show, uh, he had Holton Hill as the second best corner in this class based on tape alone, but his uh, off-the-field red flags... uh, made him go undrafted and and one of the main reasons why they added Mike Hughes and Holton Hill who have looked amazing in training camp so far is because that Trey Waynes might not be with the Vikings past uh, 2019 and Mackenzie Alexander who they spent a second round pick on in 2016 has not played well at all and Terrence Newman is back but he's 40 and although he'll probably have the slot corner job this year that fourth corner position is becoming is becoming increasingly important. So with a good preseason performance, do you see either Mike Hughes or Holton Hill passing Mackenzie Alexander on that depth chart? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Again, like you talked about, Holton Hill was one of those players that, you know, as an undrafted free agent, it was it was almost shocking to see him. Nobody even take a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round and, you know, risk having to try to sign him. And obviously the Vikings made him a priority, made him their highest paid undrafted free agent. And like you had talked about as well, you know, the, the Trey Waynes has been good but not great. And as a first-round draft pick, they're getting to the point where that contract is going to be heading towards that fifth season. And what do you do there? And Terrence Newman, again, you know, every year it seems like we're saying, well, he can't go out there and do it again. Eventually the age is going to catch up to him. You know, outside of Champ Bailey, what kind of cornerback can keep going out there? Uh, Champ Bailey, Daryl Green, and... Now it's Terrence Newman are the three that seem to continue to keep thriving into their upper 30s. So the Vikings, they've definitely got some turnover coming that way. I like the pick of Hughes in the first round. And uh, Holt was a great, Hill Holton Hill was a great free agent signing there as well as that priority undrafted free agent. So I think they're going to give them every chance to jump up the, the, uh, the depth chart and see if they can make an impact here in their rookie season. Yes, and going up against the Broncos, uh, two talented rookie wide receivers most likely on Saturday, and Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton could be a very good test for Mike Huser Holton Hill if they get that opportunity. And speaking of the Broncos, uh, Vance Joseph said that their starters on both sides of the ball are going to only play two possessions. What are the biggest potential clues to look for from the Broncos on Saturday night? For the Broncos, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen at that running back position. You've got a great battle between Devontae Booker and rookie Royce Freeman. Um, I think I I was a big Royce Freeman fan with him coming out of Oregon this year. I think they got a great running back there, and it's going to see if Devontae Booker can take advantage of his big opportunity without C.J. Anderson in the backfield or if Freeman's going to leapfrog him with a big preseason and jump up to that number one running back role. 
yes, that's a thing for fantasy owners to watch. But another thing I'm going to be watching for as far as the Broncos are concerned is that defense. And the Broncos could possess the deepest edge rushing rotation in the National Football League this year. Obviously, you got Von Miller. Now you got Bradley Chubb coming in. Bradley Chubb shouldn't have fallen to the Broncos at five. He should have been a top four pick in my opinion. And... Now you still got Shane Ray there, who apparently is looking good at training camp. You got Shaquille Barrett, who's a very good uh, rotational pass rusher that could get you a sack and forced fumble when you need it. And they got an underrated, undrafted free agent in Jeff Holland out of Auburn. And Jeff Holland has been seeing snaps with the first-team defense in training camp. So uh, I'm going to be watching that lower end of that outside linebacker depth chart for the Broncos uh, edge rusher, I mean, and if Jeff Holland can uh, continue to show his great skills at preseason, I think the Broncos uh, and defensive coordinator Joe Woods are going to have to find a way to get um, um, Shane Ray, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and perhaps Jeff Holland on the field at the same time this year. Yeah, that's that's a great problem to have, is to have that quality at at pass rush and, and, you know, Cleveland passing on Bradley Chubb. I'm still scratching my head at that decision. I, you know, I understand they have a need at cornerback, but somebody as complete as Chubb that sets the edge that has that NFL ready run defense on the outside and add that to pro level pass rushing skills. I just don't understand how Cleveland passed on him up. Months later, I'm still scratching my head, but kudos for the Broncos for jumping all over him and and adding him to Von Miller and Ray and Shaq Barrett and even adding, you know, if a Jeff Holland can squeeze his way into that rotation, it's a great problem to have um, for the Broncos and it's bad news for the quarterbacks in the AFC West. It most certainly is, and he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com, as well as BostonSportPage.com and MusketFire.com. And you follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, it is a tremendous pleasure having you on the program, but before we go, we got to test out our rapid-fire segment for the season right here by briefly uh, going over some more games that are on your mind for this week. And what other games are you looking forward to this week, and tell me why. Well, I'm, I can't wait to see the Patriots there, see if they're hungry coming back from that Super Bowl loss. And the big news out of New England so far in training camp has been the laid-back Bill Belichick canceling practices, giving guys the afternoon off. It, it's like it's a new person, a head coach there. And, and how is that going to translate on the field? We'll finally get to see that tonight as they take on Washington in their first preseason game. Oh, most definitely, Hal. And a game I'm looking forward to tonight is the Chicago Bears going to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. As far as the Bears are concerned, we're going to see Mitchell Trubisky this week. I am anxious to see his rapport with rookie wide receiver Anthony Miller that we did not get to see last week. The fact that Anthony Miller did not play in the Hall of Fame game shows that the Bears have big, big plans for Anthony Miller, and rightfully so because, in my opinion, if health permits, Anthony Miller could wind up making his case as the best wide receiver on the Bears roster. And the other thing I'm watching for is rookie James Daniels. James Daniels is competing with Eric Cush for that left guard job, and Eric Cush uh, has a slight lead in that competition. But James Daniels is getting looks at center, where which is what he played at Iowa. And if he could play better than Cody Whitehair can with the first uh, team offense, it might complicate the decision because uh, Harry Heastan might 
decide we are going to move Cody Whitehair out to left guard and put James Daniels in at center, if not week one, at some point this season. So that's another big thing to watch if you're a Bears fan. And if you're a Bengals fan, staying with the interior offensive line, you have to watch rookie center Billy Price. Billy Price has struggled so far during training camp with some errant snaps, but the Cincinnati Bengals need him Cordy Glenn and the right side of that offensive line to improve drastically this season so Andy Dalton can take advantage of his young weapons and Joe Mixon, who the Bengals are expecting a breakout season from, and 2017 first-round pick John Ross, who has looked very good in training camp so far. The Bengals are going to need the offensive line to step up so Joe Mixon and John Ross can make those explosive plays that the Bengals have been missing uh, in recent years. And even though uh, we're probably only going to get to see them for a couple series, uh, watching Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes go toe-to-toe for a couple series uh, with the Texans taking on the Chiefs, that could be a potential foreshadowing of uh, an exciting quarterback battle between two young quarterbacks that could uh, last the next uh, decade in the AF. Definitely for sure. Just seeing Deshaun Watson on the field is always a, a huge advantage for the NFL. And, and his excitement, enthusiasm, energy that he brought. I mean, those Texans games were must-watch games last year. And he looked ready to, to stake his claim as the most exciting quarterback in the NFL as a rookie. So I'm ecstatic that he's back and can't wait to see him out there. And then another game that I'm looking at as well is the Tampa Bay Bucks against the Miami Dolphins that is tonight. The Dolphins uh, have a second-round draft pick tight end Mike Gesicki, who's looked fantastic in camp, catching everything uber-athletic. And Tampa Bay has that new-look defensive line. They went out and put a lot of uh, money and work into that. Vinnie Curry, Jason Pierre-Paul, and just see if they can get some help for Gerald McCoy up front there. First-round pick Vita Vey as well lining up next to him. That could turn that defense around, which they desperately need because it's going to be a tough start to the season for Tampa Bay without their star quarterback, Jameis Winston, due to suspension. I couldn't be more excited to watch some football starting tonight, Hal, and thank you so much for joining us to break down this week's slate of preseason games. Thank you, as always, for having me, David. I'm humbled to be here with you, and I am so excited to watch some football tonight. Humble to have you by my side and so excited as well, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week with a look at the second full week of preseason action and a lot more. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome and enjoy the games, people.